welcome to the March 29th, 2021 edition of Digging Out. This program sets out to offer means for getting us through November 3rd, December 3rd, January 6th, January 20th, and beyond. With this program, we collectively clear the debris from the last four years, the last four decades, the last four centuries, or even so many millennia. Today, my guest is Johanna Kim, local businesswoman. Johanna Lee Kim started her career as a real estate attorney at UCLA Law School and transitioned into an entrepreneur, business owner, investor, one of her enterprises being a coronavirus testing company. She's currently the founder and managing director of Carryman, a company specializing in commercial real estate and investing in opportunistic and alternative investments in Southern California. Her philanthropic focus has been on addressing issues of racial inequity, fostering youth and promoting women's issues. She served on the boards of Boys and Girls Club of Anaheim and the Orange County Board of the Asian Americans Advancing Justice. She's currently on the Newport Beach Library Foundation Board and is a founding board member of the National Asian American Community Foundation. We're somewhat acquainted and I've had a few glimpses of Joanna tentatively dipping her toe further and further into political cultural waters with a, a special kind of disposition, a very interesting mindset to explore in the moment we are in right now. She comes to us today from her office in Costa Mesa. Welcome to Digging Out, Joanna Kim. Thank you, Claudia, for invitation. I'm looking forward to having conversation with you. Well, thank you. So I first have to ask, because of the moment we are in, how are you doing right now, Joanna? I am super excited. Spring's coming. I'm super excited that um, there's a lot happening with Asian American hate crime issues coming up finally up above the water. I'm super excited that we're I'm, I'm vaccinated. Uh, I'm super excited that a lot of Americans are getting uh, vaccinated and that we can move forward. So I'm very optimistic. Okay. So tell us how you yourself identify. And in preparation for the interview, you've talked about some of the unifying themes while also having a kind of a, your own kind of where you align on the sort of political spectrum. Talk about your identity and the kind of convergence of identities. Yeah. When I think about myself immigrating to America at age of 13, I grew up with a certain education in Korea. We were all thought to think alike in certain ways. And they talk about actually uh, uh, Japanese occupation and et cetera. And when I arrived in America, there's a few Japanese American third, fourth generation students of junior high school. And I used to look at them like with a hatred in my eyes. And I realized one day, this is six months after I arrived. One day I realized, oh my gosh, they're clueless about Japan. They're clueless about the history and they're wonderful people. And that one moment of acknowledging that to myself and realizing that their whole hatred just melted down. And that was my first time thinking, gosh, this is what America is about. That I'm here, these Japanese Americans here, uh, all the Caucasians here, and it's just really amazing experience for me at that moment. 
And then um, a few years later, when I uh, went to Korea and visited there, I just felt like a little off. You know, it was like nine years after my arrival. So I was young 20s. Went to Korea and thinking, oh, I'm going to visit my homeland. And I go there. And then I come back as plane was landing. And I was like, phew, I'm home. Oh, that's that was a huge thing for me. Just struck me. I am home. U.S. America is my home. <laughs> so I realized this is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. This is who I am. I'm an American, Asian American. It, it was a huge uh, turning point for me. And then I married an American-born Korean. So he, Ken was born in, in Missouri. So I thought marrying him was just like marrying a, a, a Caucasian American. And uh, after I married, I realized, oh, he has a lot of Korean tradition in him that we don't have to talk about, let's say, for example, taking our shoes off as we enter the house. And I thought, oh, that's a Korean trait. But then I realized as I was uh, making more friends beyond Asian Americans or Korean Americans, I realized, oh, there's a lot of people who wants to take their shoes off by the door so that they come in to keep their house clean. So these are a lot of increased awareness in my part of what it means to be an American, um, Asian American, but we're all alike. And now, and then I, my children, as they were born, I was trying, they would go to school. They grew up in Palos Verdes. And uh, when they arrived, you know, they, they, they went to school. Um, they were, I think, predominantly mostly white. And one day she comes home and says to me how she's Korean. And I looked at her, I said, She's not Korean to me. She doesn't even speak Korean. She's here. She, her roots are in America. So I, I was telling her how she's an American. It was another big gigantic step for me to realize for me that I am an American and my children are Americans. It was very interesting journey for me it's to this day. And my mother, who's now 80, she arrived here when she was 38, and it took her uh, a various journey for her to realize she's not going anywhere. She's an American, <laughs> and she does. She hardly she speaks a little bit of English, but not enough for her to content herself with. But uh, she can get by. She she communicates well enough to everybody, but she wants to express it as well as she speaks Korean. But she still feels like this is my home. When did she say that this is her home? Do you know? I think she's been saying it all along because I would say, mom, don't you want to go back to Korea? Because, you know, the, move in the, your old hometown. She goes, no, America's best place to live. And she traveled the world. I mean, she, she and my mom, my dad, they worked so hard as Americans, you know, Amer American immigrants, right? So they, they couldn't speak English. They had store in Latino American community in Santa Ana. And they had a great relationship with those neighbors and because they knew they're here for good. So their neighbors, their customers are their friends. They had a great relationship, but they made a good enough money. They, they pay for our education and they retired really well. And they traveled the world for a good 20 years. And whenever they visited anywhere in the country, they, they come home and they said, this is the best country. <laughs> so so let's, let's put all of, all of your, those three generations all around, let's say like a holiday occasion. Mm -hmm. So 
if everybody went around the table, their own identities, they're similar. How would they distinguish each other seated side by side at that dinner table? Um, okay, so my parents and my siblings and I would say, this is our home. We crave for certain food. We crave for, and we reminiscent about old days in Korea. When, we, when I was growing up in Korea, it was, it was lovely time. So we reminiscent about that, but we are practical and realist. So when we, we've gone to Korea a number of times to visit, but it's a visit. We don't have a strong tie. We don't feel like it's somewhere that we can go back to. If we had to, sure, we can go back and live there for a while, but we're gonna miss America. We love the freedom when we arrived here, how we can talk about politics and presidents and we can criticize and how newspaper and, and news anchors will talk about politics and, and no fear of criticizing and having comments on. That's such a freedom that we didn't experience in Korea when I was growing up. So the freedom itself and the way we dress even, we can dress us whatever we like to dress, that freedom. No judgment about that freedom is tremendous. Uh, it's a value that we, we all appreciate being in America and being sworn in as an American. And that's another major big steps that we each one of us took when we sworn in, we're Christians. And for us to swear into that, that's a gigantic step that we go through the door and feel like, wow, we made a commitment. And when you were talking about, you were puzzled by your offsprings identifying as Korean and you were making the distinction, how can you be Korean if you don't speak Korean? But I, I know it's a really difficult language for a non-Korean speaker to acquire, but did your children have any kind of Korean spoken? Oh, yeah, yeah. they do. We, we tried a little bit, you know, Korean language school. My parents lived near us, so they tried to speak to them. And so they understand Oh, they do. Um, they do understand, uh, but they actually speak Spanish a lot better than Korean. <laughs> so okay. um, they wish they could speak Korean better now that they're older. But um, during that time, they took it for granted how Korean language could help them to communicate with my parents and grandparents. They wish they can communicate better with my mom, who's so wise, bringing old wisdom, right? Right. For those of you who've just joined us on Digging Out. My guest is Newport Beach businesswoman and parent, Joanna Kim, examining the moment we're in and we're recording this show on March 27th. So what, Joanna, would you want us to know about your experiencing the last 12 months versus the last many years? What's it like right now for you? So I told my children when last year March hit, uh, two of my children came home for different reasons. And I reached out to the, the other two children because I have four children. And I said to them, listen, my parents' generation they experienced Korean War. They were part of the Japanese occupation time. It was a horrible time for them. I was lucky one that we didn't, I didn't experience any war. And you are lucky that you so far had a very peaceful time in America. But now it feels like we're at war against coronavirus. So we stay calm, 
we stay unified, we stay safe, but stay very alert because this is literally will be a war against the coronavirus. We don't know what it's going to look like. So there could be a lot of opportunities. There's going to be a shift in the world. And, and it actually, out of my own deep fear, I found myself sharing that optimism with my children. And I, I shared that with my friends. So compared to most people, I want to say that with the, my work that I had to work with, the, with the real, in real estate, which some of them include uh, some small construction work, that didn't stop. I had to put double mask on. I had to put gloves on. I had to extra coverage and I go out. So when I go out, I realize how peaceful the world could be because everyone stayed home and everyone bonded together. That's what I've seen. Like bond, not only my family, I noticed a lot of people are hurtling together. I just saw a lot of that. Compared to last 12 months prior to that, I feel like, wow, what a freedom, right? So that last 12 months, we appreciated the past of freedom that I experienced as an individual, as an American, as a, the whole world was normal, right? But my appreciation for smallest thing had heightened the last 12 months. So when you were talking with your children about maintaining an alertness, and you're talking about against a pandemic, was there a sort of an ethnic on alert that you put your children on? I didn't have to because they're already pretty alert. And the way Trump was talking about China virus and all that, we were sitting at home, we're laughing. It was like, how could a world leader shame one country and one kind of race? It, it was laughable to us. We were thankful that we were all home because we didn't have to go out there and face any kind of repetitive words like that. It was coming out of President Trump's mouth. Nobody else's at that point. So we were laughing about it, but we were afraid how that will have a ripple effect. Finally, I think we're experiencing that now that people are out and about. So when you are laughing off, the kind of divisive tactic that the former president was using as the pandemic was opening up. I mean, some people would say, well, division was the operating principle in the White House at that time. And from the beginning of, that, of his campaign, the division was about doing the other with people coming here from Central America, some from Mexico. I mean, the division was something is working. You didn't say like, oh, now, now it's being pointed to us. You don't feel like we saw how this worked for other people. Now this, it's, our, it's our moment. We're, we've got the targets on our back. Absolutely. Did you see connection? No. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, because coronavirus was so big in our mind, that some of us who are at home didn't have a chance to really think about, okay, how's it gonna affect when we actually come out of our own house now, right? As we walk around. So we didn't have a chance to really think about how will it affect generations to come by what the world leader says at that moment about a year prior to that, right? I'm politically declared independent because I'm not a party line follower. 
I'm much more of a, okay, I want to decide based on the candidate, him or herself. What do they say about certain issues that I really care about? So I noticed that during the election time. In 2020 when, or 2016? Oh, no, 2020. Okay. 20, 2016, remember, I'm a businesswoman. Now I didn't vote, I'm going to be public, but I, I, I didn't vote for Trump because I thought it's time for a woman. And Hillary is experienced and that's what, who I want. I'm in line with the fact that, you know, women now needs to take a place up in the leadership, much, much higher leadership. But when Trump became president, I said, you know, maybe there's a point to all these voters. So because I'm not so political, I decided, you know what? I want to give a chance to what he does to real estate. Well, he's after all a real estate person and he's supposedly highly you know, successful. So let's see, even though there's a lot of doubts and a lot of paintings done, and I'm like, you know what? I'm a very neutral person and I'm a very open person. I'm going to try this. So I was silent about it up until I start to see a lot of things that's coming out of his mouth was, that's not what leaders do. That's not right. And how does it affect my community of, and I don't mean just my community as an Asian American community, my community that includes every different color and different race. How does it affect everybody when somebody says such a negative thing about one community or one race or say these things that, who doesn't even realize how much impact his one each word would have. So that's when I rose up and I said, listen, we cannot have him as another four years of presidency. It will really destroy so many and create so much fractions within this beautiful country called America. In unity, we can all survive through this, this whole horrible war against virus and war against so many different pain that a lot of different communities suffers. But if we don't unite, we're going to, America and Americans will just fall apart. Okay. We came here, my parents came here to be the fertilizer for their next generation. That's us and my, me and my brothers and their grandchildren. I don't want their sacrifice coming to America for freedom to be wasted this way. I want to make sure that we all come together, different colors, right, black, yellow, you know, green, <laughs> you know, everybody get back together. That's what I wanted. And that's when I decided, you know, we better hear more voice. I start to invite whoever I had a communication with um, in my small ways, invite candidates to come and speak to a small groups that I can gather. David Min around here and and I invited uh, Young Kim, who's an old, old friend. She's a bit Republican, but I love her character. I'm not in line with her, some of the issues. But I still wanted to hear, it doesn't matter what parties. We, we just need to, everybody, I need to hear what they have to say and increase the awareness among, uh, whether it's Asian Americans or non-Asian Americans to really hear and be participating in this political process, which is greatest freedom that we're, and choice that was given to us. So there's an interesting tension I'm thinking in the moment when we talk about Asian American Pacific Islanders, we talk about that as like one sort of a census data box to check or when you're completing an immigration naturalization form, but 
So there are so many different people this brings in, that designation, and yet you're talking about unifying because of what the moment is requiring, a unity of such a huge continental heritage. I mean, what do you think about that you've got to collapse an entire continent so that there is a respect and appreciation for what that heritage brings and fits into this huge democratic project of the U.S. of A. Yeah, you know, the first generation immigrants from various places, they have such a strong memory and like my parents and I did part of the time until I, you know, my plane landed in America after visiting Korea, (laughs) realizing, ah, this is my home. You know, first generation immigrants came here for the freedom of choice and and safety, and they know that that will be a sacrifice for their next generations. Because, you know, living here, not being able to communicate as well as they do and intelligently as as they are, um, they they cannot communicate in English, is extremely frustrating and sad and painful for them. So come here, and for next generation, that's me and my, my children, to be divided from different ethnic groups or different national origin people, I think that it's very short-sighted, very narrow-minded. And I think my children particularly, it's really interesting. I was talking to one of my kids and this was over 15 years ago. He was probably late teen, was visiting college and he, he was going to some library and, and he saw, oh, hey, there's an Asian kid. And then he kept, came closer and he realized, oh, that's me. Oftentimes, our, those Asian Americans who were born here don't even see the color difference. <laughs> they forget that they're Asian Americans even. They see themselves as an American. They don't see themselves as a white. They don't see them as a black. But they, even their friends are multicolored. So I, I realized, you know, it's senior generations that's really distinguishing these things. Our next generation, millennials and down they really don't care. <laughs> they, they like the friends for they, who they are, the common interests, you know, that sort of thing. But I really think that it's a mistake to think that Asians are different or even among Asians, are, we have different culture. It's so enlightening and beautiful to see uh, so many different culture coming together, joining us in America. I think that's the beautiful part. It's like, walking through the forest when it's during the fall with the different colors, right? <laughs> How beautiful is that? I feel like that's what America does, is it they welcome Mexicans or, or, or South Americans or Africans, and they welcome Europeans and Asians. I think that's what makes America so strong and beautiful. So let's talk about the moment again, back to this moment. Is there something different, in fact, about this moment and your, yes. with your own activism, are you facing a different moment of truth right now? Absolutely. The Asian American hate crimes have increased tremendously and, and I'm so glad, not about the increase, so media is covering it, different race are concerned about that. Uh, a lot of uh, Americans of different colors are coming up and saying that stop that. I think that that coming to the above the on the surface 
out of the underwater, which has been underwater for many, many, you know, uh, centuries really, it really is a good thing. I'm very optimistic, very charged on. I think a lot of people who would sit back and enjoy their life right now for, you know, fruit of their labor is actually, you know, staying alert and talking about it. You know, when I brought some of the attention to my non-Asian friends, they were very thankful that, that, hey, thanks for, you know, bringing our awareness to these things. I mean, it's beautiful. I'm so glad that we're actually talking about it, that America is talking about it. So I think it's a very constant refrain. I'm reading in different platforms, outlets, is that there was a kind of a, a cultural sort of aspect about keeping one's head down. And it's an inflection point that a reconsideration of responses to the political developments. So it's like, we're done. We're done keeping our heads down. We're going to push back and we're going to push back at a more and more forceful kind of pushing back. Is, is that something you see coming on the horizon or here? I'm, uh, yes, I'm experiencing that a lot of Asian Americans who, at least among my people, people around me, Asian who are Asian Americans, are beginning to talk about it. In the past, it felt like it was so remote. A remote in the, in the spoken sense or remote in that it was just, it was like a suppressed kind of non, a non-occurrence. Probably for those of us who are educated in America, it felt like a uh, remote from physical, right? Um, okay. For immigrants like my parents who cannot speak English, they wouldn't know what to do with it, right? Now right. with the social media that's happening and uh, those of us who are educated in America can communicate well enough, I feel like there's a lot of stepping up on our part uh, that who are taking responsibility as it's our responsibility to speak up about it, share. And as far as putting our heads down, I think that's very old fashioned way of talking as far as uh, like when I first came to America, you know, in 76, coming from the uh, semi-dictatorship regime, yes, we definitely had to put our heads down. (laughs) But that's what being in America taught us. No, you don't put your head down. You speak up, share. We have a lot of friends who will stand up for us. Let's share. So I think in 1976, in the old days, there was such few, if there was any organization that supports and keeps track of these hate crimes, I didn't even know I can report to the police. But with all this media stepping up, social media stepping up to say, hey, if that happens, report. That really helps to heal the, some of the pain that our citizens are suffering with from the hate crimes. Well, I want to mention too, it was an encounter I had yesterday that a young lady, is, she identifies as Chinese American. And I, I think I was just expressing my wish for her safety. And I said, whenever you feel any unease, it's just a thought I had that you, that you bring somebody, you just, take somebody out in a crowd and just have them be a part of you to sort of be a kind of a buffer for some kind of incoming assault. Cause she had, she was registering more public kind of antipathies and she wasn't sure what I was saying until I suggested, oh, you know, in the mode of the 
the bystander model, the green dot program that intervene when somebody is about to be sexually assaulted. And she said, oh yeah, the bystander. And then she understood. And so I, I thought, well, maybe the, those are, there are tools out there that exist that can be adapted for the moment we're in. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so many tools that, and I think those are, again, media, like, like this podcast, uh, other medias and other organizations who accumulated information and sharing will help, you know, and, and I think it's not so much Asian, but I think it's because it, it, we're Asian or Asian Americans, but sometimes it's so much just because we're women. We don't know how to deal with the certain situations because it, maybe we grew up in a very comfortable area or, and we were never given that tools. But now, because everyone's talking about it, the tools are shared. When the tools are shared, that's when our power is given to the, the, the potential victims or uh, the victims, uh, how to deal with that, to fight against the, such abuse. Well, my last question, in the service of posting listeners on an opportunity to learn, to coalesce, that next week there is a rally, Stop Asian Hate, which will be at the Freedom Hall at Mile Square Park in Fountain Valley. It's 16801 Euclid Street on Fountain Valley. It's going to be sponsored by the Filipino American Lawyers of Orange County, Asian Pacific Public Defender Association, as well as your Asian Americans Advancing Justice and so many other, including the Hispanic Bar Association of Orange County. And I, I was wondering whether you see a potential for let's say multi-generational extended families, let's say your family, do you think we'll have an opportunity to meet many generations at a rally such as that and it gives your parents and their cohort a chance to speak, to interact, to show up with different people so they feel, uh, they, they get a lot of things done. They get connected, they maybe are heard and they witness people that wanna be there for them. Oh, absolutely. I think a lot of Asian Americans feel so proud that some of these people who would put this together and be out there and share. And I think, uh, you know, I experienced that for the first time recently when my daughter invited me to go and Black Lives Matter event was happening in Newport Beach. I actually went with her. You know, it was during the coronavirus time, I thought, but I thought it was very important. So we put extra coverages on and, and we went and did that. And there is something about that. It's so healing and it is uh, empowering. So definitely, I, I, you know, it is very important. And all of us will, I'm sure, will share with whether you're Asian American or not. It would be very important if an ethnic and multi-generational people show up and share and experience that empower uh, moment. So there's going to be an extended version of this digging out episode. And so I just want to refer people to the KUCI Public Affairs Archive. And what does this moment mean to you also when Governor Gavin Newsom appointed Ram Abanta as the newest California Attorney General? What did that appointment mean for you, Joanna? You know, I went to uh, law school at UCLA Law School years ago, dating myself in the 1980s. And, you know, during that time, 
only a handful of Asian Americans were law students. And my class was the largest Asian American class that was admitted and attended. And during those days, they were so afraid. I think the, the alumni were afraid that like, hey, with the, that many Asian Americans, our bar rate's going to go down. Is uh, the uh, fundraising is going to have a problem years later? Well, guess what? All of us passed the bar. All of us made a huge contribution. So, I mean, the judges came out of our, our class, uh, Asian American class uh, mates, and then um, some of uh, some of the classmates were became a DA. And all that very very successful made a huge contribution to uh, American society. Very capable, and actually, at some point, I think our class was the largest donating class among alumni at some point. So, you know, I am very proud to have Asian American AG in in California, and I am sure it would be that position. You know, it it would be amazing, a firework, and it will be an example of how well Asian American can fill that position and do an amazing job. And I noticed on Twitter when Rob Bonta's appointment was announced that Jose Antonio Vargas, the very famous undocumented journalist and activist, he made sure that he saw the intersectionality of the appointment by bringing up the endorsements from all over the uh, persons of color, uh, leaders all over the country that are that support that appointment because of the so uh, that it was it was really monumental how he wanted to make sure representation is positioned within this appointment. So I want to thank you, Joanna Kim, for, for being on the show. And I learned that there's a lot of different ways to go into the spring of 2021 with this dread, a palpable dread, I sense from my Asian American Pacific Islander compatriots. And I want to know if your positive and optimistic uplifting take is what I essentially correctly understand from our time together today, Joanna Kim. Yes, there's great fear, but with the fear, there could be a lot of optimistic energy could come out. So it, with the fear, we can withdraw. We, uh, with the sadness, we can withdraw. But with all that, what we consider negative emotion, negative feelings that we have, always there could be some new sprouts coming out. I see a new opportunity for Asian Americans to be recognized as a strong voice, as equal Americans to anybody else who lives in this land. I just see it as a new sprout of opportunities. And I, I think it's a super exciting point in our lives to do something about what was hidden in darkness, which was uh, hatred against Asian Americans, discriminations against Asian Americans and Blacks and other colors, or whether because you're poor or because you're disabled. There's so much discrimination. I think this is an opportunity as Asian Americans rise to say, hey, no more hatred against Asian Americans as much as no more hatred against Blacks, disabled, transgenders. No matter what, let's, let's just live in harmony. I think it's, a, I'm very optimistic, yes. Okay, well, thank you so much for being on Digging Out today, Johanna Kim. Thank you. My guest was 
Newport Beach businesswoman and parent, Joanna Kim, examining the moment we're in. We're recording this today, March 27th. Next week, Silvio Carrillo, writer and producer advocating for improving human rights and justice in Honduras and Latin America, will deepen our understanding of immigration in this time. Talk with you next week, and I thank you for listening.